2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now that we are already one-fifth of the way through earnings season, we can start identifying the winners and losers so we can do better going forward. Now, I know in days like today when the Dow managed to finish up 10 points, s and dipped 0.02%, Nasdaq lost 0.18%, but it was after a furious rally from a very big down opening, it can seem like there aren't any winners. But that'd be dead wrong. In fact, there's been a, a great deal of winners. They just don't get much airtime because they've got nothing to do with tax. Too many commentators treat text talks as the protagonist of the market, but that really tends to lead you astray at moments like this. So let me tonight take down the winners, because we have some legitimate, sizable bull markets going on here, and they show no signs of letting up. And I want you in them. The first, the first, the banks. Yes, these banks, they have been incredible performers. I think Wells Fargo is about to take off. One reason we honor for the Chapel Trust. I told CNBC Investing Club members today at the morning meeting that this one looks like it's about to blast off. Hey, J.P. Morgan, after all, it's still cheap. U.S. Corp reported a monster quarter day. Great loan growth, very low defaults. After such furious rate hike cycles, don't you think that's impressive? I do. But not as impressive as Capital One, COF, which shot the lights out last night with remarkable growth and defaults still well below the heyday before the pandemic. As someone who's learned a lot from Capital One's longtime CEO, Richard Fairbank, over the years, I'm still stunned by his ability to challenge even the deepest of downturns. He's been running this company since it came public in 1994 and has steered it flawlessly the whole time. Capital One surged more than nine bucks today because people bet against him. They figured the huge credit card business would be plagued by equity, you know, by uh, equally huge defaults because the rates go up so fast, right? Well, they were dead wrong. As for Wells Fargo, well, okay, It is slowly but surely moving up since it reported. But even here, it is ridiculously cheap, down more than 20 points from where it was trading five years ago. Even as almost every other bank stock is dramatically higher. Enough of it in the penalty box, sure. I mean, I get it. I mean, it's all these consent decrees that Charlie Sharf, who's the CEO, has to solve. But it's a legacy of his far less ethical predecessors. While there are still nine of these left, yeah, nine consent decrees, the big sanction from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has now been dealt with. That was the one that I was worried about. Second bull market is aerospace and defense. Now, this is honestly one of the most electric bull markets I've ever seen. Corner. Okay, nobody seems to care about this. This morning, Boeing reported a quarter that was the thing of the... it It was beautiful. Now, it was the kind of numbers that they give you back in the old days. I'm reminiscent. When Boeing dominated the industry, constantly crushing Airbus its heavily subsidized European rival... They're finally printing money thanks to the post-COVID travel boom that's led to a post-COVID plane shortage. Now, maybe you're wondering why I'm so positive on these numbers, because it sure looked like Boeing had an earnings shortfall. It's simple. See, Boeing is what's known as a cash flow story, not an earnings story. And the cash flow came in sharply better than expected, with management guiding for even stronger numbers going forward. Not that long ago, I thought Boeing would have to dilute shareholders with a gigantic equity offering in order to raise money. I don't think so anymore. I now think Boeing is beginning to feel like the old days, the Jim McNerney days, eight years ago, when my confidence in the business was unshakable. Boeing's now beginning to win a larger share of orders than it has in years. You know what, I'm even betting that China will soon return as a growth area for them now that they're out of lockdown. On the defense side of the aerospace defense, I'm very impressed with Lockheed Martin the other day, which is supposed to have some sort of weakness due to congressional budget woes. But in a world where everybody's recognized the need to rearm thanks to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, please don't try to outsmart yourself. Just go buy the stock of Lockheed Martin. Jim Takelet will do it for you. He's the CEO. Raytheon knocked it out of the park, too, and I'm now furious at myself because we thought about buying it for the Chapel Trust, but we never pulled the trigger. Raytheon's numbers were so much stronger than the last quarter in part because, you know what, they found many more engineers, including a Megaris from the wasteland that is now enterprise software. The orders uh, here from both commercial customers and the military, I think they're possibly insane. You know this aerospace bull market is powerful because it can even carry Heaven forbid the stock of General Electric, which has been in bear mode for ages. Gee's orders and cash flow were outstanding. Once they spin off their power business, something that should happen early next year, you'll see how strong this company really is. CEO Larry Colpus moved mountains to get this company where it is. It's time to buy, not time to sell. Let's also remember that aerospace is the tail of another giant bull market the airlines themselves. We got terrific numbers from United and Delta. Phenomenal. That will be surely te- sorely tested tomorrow when. Holy cow, Southwest Air reports in the wake of their holiday season scheduling snafu. We'll be interviewing CEO Bob Jordan tomorrow on the squawk of the street. You know the best thing I can say? He's willing to come on. But we need answers. America needs answers. Hey, speaking of America, American Airlines reports tomorrow too, and based on their strong pre-announcement earlier this month, I bet we'll like what we hear. Fifth bull market, trucks. That's right, Up bull market in trucks. One of the best, if not the best quarters so far this whole year has come from a company called Pacar. That's P-A-C-C-A-R, not Pacar, but Pacar. And that's also, you probably know, as Kenworth or uh, Peterbilt. Everything was a record here, including revenues and profits. According to CEO R. Preston Fate, quote, demand is strong in all markets for Pacar's industry leading new trucks and transportation solutions, and we look forward to 2023 being another re- excellent year, end quote. Well, that's in keeping with what I heard from J.B. Hunt. One of the largest trucking companies in the country, which is struggling uh, now as retailers work through the inventory glut, but anticipates a turn as soon as next quarter. The Packard quarter's an excellent predictor of the numbers that you might get from, say, Chapel Trust, fave Caterpillar when it reports next week. The stocks up a lot might be a good buy if it comes in before the quarter. Hey, same goes for Cummins, CMI, which makes truck engines. Remember, we finally started to get drivers back, and that really does matter. New people learning to drive big rigs, too. Great news for the group. We've got a couple of other bull markets that may be too nascent to invest in, but I want to call your attention to them. That said, the discount, uh, how about the discounters? They seem to be in bull mode. I'm talking about deep discounters like Dollar Tree or Five Below or TJX. At the same time, I'm kind of shocked in the strength of Telco. Yesterday, Verizon put a very, very weak quarter, yet there's barely been any downside follow-through. On the other hand, we got a true upside surprise from none other than ATT. I think we'll also get great numbers from T-Mobile when it reports next week. Now, I know it's too early to flag pharma, but J&J reported a very strong quarter ahead of its breakup. It just the other day, I, it wasn't hurled at all. I think it should have been. I like the way Merck stock acted, even as it stopped a very important prostate cancer test for Keytruda. Regular viewers know I think that Eli Lilly could report a good Quarter with strong guidance. Don't forget, they're really expanding their manufacturing capacity in North Carolina. I think it's because of their diabetes drug. I also like the oil service stocks, but I seem to be alone in feeling that way. Still, SLB and Halliburton delivered extraordinary numbers with stunningly positive commentary. So I, I, let's just consider it an icing on the cake bull market that might thaw when the big oil companies report. We saw it fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Chevron buyback announced this very night. Oh, how about the entertainment stocks? Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, they're all smoking. What matters is that you can spot these bull markets with ease as long as you don't get distracted by enterprise software, which I told you is the most bearish part of the entire market or anything that touches on that digital world. Let me give you the bottom line here. It's time to recognize that tech's no longer the, the only game in town. In fact, much of tech is no longer in the town at all. Time to find a better game. I want to go to Michelle in New Hampshire. Michelle.
3: Hey, Jim, I just joined the investing club. Thanks so much.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. (laughs) I really appreciate it. (laughs) What do you got?
3: I I had a question on Domino's. I saw the CEO on your show. I got all excited. I'm a member of Domino's. I eat there eight times a month. He had electric vehicles. I was so excited. I bought twenty seven shares at about three ninety three. The stock has gone down and it's gone down again and I'm trying to find out if I should hold on to it
4: or let it go.
2: I like Domino's and not just the pizza. Where We always know the banana peppers comes on time. I think it's terrific. The whole pizza segment is doing well. Uh, PCZA got a very nice recommendation. I want you to hold on to the stock. And if it falls anymore from here, I would be a buy, buyer. Buy, buy. And thank you for being a member of the investing club because it just means the world to me. I love it. It's electric. How about Craig in California? Craig. Booyah to ya, Jimbo. Very well. Very very exclamatory booyah. What's going on?
4: Uh, Yeah, I'm just wondering. I'm trying to find some stocks that haven't shot up the last three months. So I'm looking at two. Both have a decent multiple, nice dividend. Uh, UPS. Uh, In FedEx, I'm looking at. Let's uh, do
2: FedEx. Let's do FedEx. Doesn't have a union problem. We're not worried about any sort of contract that's coming up. I think the new CEO is doing a terrific job, and I think the stock is at a very inexpensive level with a 2.45% yield. Not as good as UPS, but every bit as good when it comes to growth. All right. It is time to recognize that tech is no longer the only game in town, people. In fact, I think it's time to find. a better game completely on my money tonight Levi CEO Chip Berg announced his succession plan with former Cole CEO Michelle Goss taking the helm of the iconic apparel company. I'm sitting down with Chip to learn a little more about the plan, what the future could hold, and that nice quarter report at the close. That Microsoft reported last night, it was not as great as the speed it hoped for. I'm digging into the details, sharing all you need to know with Mr. Softy, And going once, going twice, sold to your portfolio. I'm sitting down with Richie Brothers Auctioneer to see if this could be a strong, under-the-radar way to play the heavy machinery and trucking space. So stay with Kramer.
1: Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
4: Brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional quality expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com CNBC.
2: Last spring, the whole apparel complex got clobbered once we realized there was a massive inventory glut. As consumers stopped buying stuff and started spending their money on travel and experience. But by the fall, many of the apparel stocks really managed to bottom. Take Levi Strauss & Company. That's the denim kingpin. It's king of the group. Absolutely. Sank to $13 and change at its lows in October before rebounding to 16 and change as of today. And tonight, though, Levi's had to justify that move with good earnings. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. They turned in a solid set of numbers with a small revenue beat and a sizable 5-cent earnings beat off a a 29-cent basis. That does matter, people, because these are companies that have really, really been on the 52-week low list. Management gave us a bullish full-year sales forecast. I don't know. I found it all pretty encouraging, frankly. So what's the story behind these numbers? Let's check in with Chip Berg, the president and CEO of Levi Strauss & Company, get a better year of the quarter and where the industry's headed. Mr. Berg, welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Jim, it's great to see you. Great to be back.
2: Well, Chip, I got to tell you, I was concerned. I mean, I know that the Apparel Group is just such a tough group. I think you stood out with this number, doing better than expected. So I've got to ask you, how does it happen? How are you able to stand above the crowd?
6: Well, I think fundamentally, Jim, our strategies are working. You know, we've been at this now for a while to diversify our business, um, to focus on building our brands, driving outsized growth in women's and tops areas where we're underdeveloped, driving outsized growth internationally, and really doubling down on our direct-to-consumer business. And if you take a look at the results, um, that's what's driving it. I think the other big thing, you know, there's been a lot of noise about, um, you know, the decline of the denim category. And I'm kind of reminded of the Mark Twain quote, you know, the news of my death has been greatly exaggerated. 40% of our revenues are not in denim. And, uh, you know, we're driving growth in tops. We're driving growth in outerwear. We've got two other brands, Dockers and Beyond Yoga, which don't have any denim, really, to speak of. And that 40 percent of the business grew real nicely this quarter, too. So um, the results kind of beat our own internal expectation. We have a lot of good momentum and we're really optimistic about the year ahead.
2: Well, I think that sometimes people do get confused about all the news things because, indeed, you are celebrating the 150th year in May 20th. Maybe what happens is that legacy makes people not realize all the other things you've done.
6: Well, the legacy is really important, too. I think part of the keys to our success is we've had one foot firmly rooted in our in our history and our legacy and all that this Levi's brand is all about while the other foot is taking a step forward into the future. And we are gonna be celebrating the 150th anniversary of the 501 this year. We'll be celebrating it all year long. It just kicked off this week. We've got advertising that's gonna break on the Grammys in, in a week and a half. Um, so we're super excited about that. And you know, the 501 has been one of our best performing items in the past year, it was up over 30% this past year. And, um, and it's been a real driver of our growth. And now we're going to get a chance to celebrate it with a lot of innovation. We're bringing items out of our archives. I think there's going to be a lot of consumer excitement around it. And I think we'll drive some share growth behind it as well.
2: Well, the best place, best venue there to be, be direct to consumer. You can't really control what some of the stores going to do with your merchandise.
6: Our DTC business, you know, for perspective, our DTC business, when I joined the company 11 years ago, was only 21 percent of our global revenues. In the fourth quarter, it finished at 39%. And when we had investor day back in uh, early June, we said our objective in the next five years is to get it to 55% of our our business. And we're investing in DTC. We added 136 gross new doors this past year. Unfortunately, we shut a lot of doors this past year too, uh, particularly in Russia. So we only added net six new doors, but we delivered strong comp sales growth across the board in all three regions uh, during the year. Our stores are getting increasingly more productive. We also added 11 new mainline doors in the U.S. where we don't have many mainline doors in just the fourth quarter. Um, And that takes our total mainline count to 66 doors in the U.S. We see tremendous opportunity to premiumize the U.S. We still have lots of white space markets where we don't even have a mainline door today And we're committed to getting to 100 doors over the next couple of years. And I think there's opportunity way beyond that.
2: Well, Chip, I'm listening to a fantastic growth story. And I have to point to our viewers that some of this is not going to be executed by you, that you are indeed leaving the CEO job. We only know you, our viewers only know you as the CEO. Why the change?
6: Well, you know, I've had a great run here, Jim, and, and I've been working with the board of directors on succession planning for the last four years. I just turned 65. I've been in the job for 11 and a half years. I'm still in the job and I'm not going anywhere until the board declares that Michelle is ready. But, you know, we found a sitting CEO who was willing to leave her current you know, job and, and come here because of the tremendous opportunity that, that exists here and uh, Michelle has joined us as president she's responsible for the Levi's brand and all of our commercial operations around the world so about 85% of the global P&L rolls up through her it gives her an opportunity to come in begin to build her agenda as, you know as the next CEO and we'll have a very very smooth transition we've worked on a transition plan that'll take you know for the next 12 to 18 months and when she's ready and the board think she's ready. I will step to the side. I've said before, Jim, that nothing prepares you to be a CEO better than better than being a CEO. And, you know, she's CEO. I
2: I have to ask you, Chip. I mean, uh, the her stock, like many department stores, admittedly, did go down during when she was when there was Michelle Goss, who was former CEO of Kohl's, did go down uh, and did not and also bounced. When she moved to you, she went up, stock went up 7 percent. Your stock went down about 3 percent. There were activists who were saying she was not doing a good enough job. Uh, and I'd like to know your response to that.
6: Well, um, obviously, we we dug in pretty deep on this, Jim. And when I say we, I mean myself and the rest of the board of directors. I think fundamentally, you have to ask yourself, is Kohl's a better company today because of Michelle, than, than it would have been if Michelle hadn't been there. And if you take a look at the things that she did, she drove their digital business from a billion dollars in sales to six billion dollars in sales in a pretty short period of time. She got them into Activewear, which was low single digits percentage of their business. It's now a quarter of their business. Importantly, she brought in Amazon, uh, you know, which drove traffic. And I think the biggest the biggest coup was she won the shootout. For, for Sephora and they'll have Sephora and 850 doors. And I can tell you based on the Levi's business that in the Sephora doors, Sephora Kohl's stores, the Levi's women's business is up double digit versus the non-Sephora doors. Okay. So I can tell you that they are bringing in a new customer. Fundamentally, I believe, you know, that, that sector is very, very challenged. It was a very tough lift, I think. But she made that company better. I I think if she hadn't been there, it might be looking like maybe Sears or J.C. Well, JCPenney or something. Well, and, and that's it, it that's new like, information.
2: Look. I did not have that information. And I think that is excellent information that the market wasn't privy to. So I guess the only thing I really disagree with you on is that ridiculous blazer or whatever it is you've got on. Because the forty as much as that your team does indeed play in Levi Stadium, I need need I remind you where you are playing on Sunday. Yeah, I think it's
6: gonna be a great game, Jim, and as part of the reason I wanted to join you today because I figured we would talk about it. I think it's gonna be an amazing game, but I've got to tell you, the Niners are playing just incredibly right now. And this this new quarterback, the, the kid,
2: Purdy, Brock yeah.
6: Purdy, He's the, he is the real deal. And I'm but worried. I think it's going to be a okay.
2: fantastic you, game. I'm worried, which says everything I think you need to know because I usually come in confident. But I like that. Remember though, it's a Philly thing. And I'm happy to Tims I got two for you if you need it, okay? If you want to come, I got two seats for you. All righty? I'm buying. Okay.
6: I might take you up on that. All
2: right. Good, Good to that's see you, Jack. For presidency of Levi Strauss, who we will not miss cuz I bet you we see you again. All righty? I hope so, for Thank sure. Thank you very much. May everybody back back after the break.
5: Coming up, the mega caps are on deck, and they start with some soft serve. A Microsoft earnings recap ahead.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
4: Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise. Dedicated to shaving brighter futures for our students and franchisees, Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S. And our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today.
2: Last night we heard from the first of the mega-cap tech companies to report so far, Microsoft. And it certainly wasn't great. Now, we've been bracing ourselves for this moment when we start getting results from the tech titans, because after spending last year in free fall, they started off 2023 with a bang. But a lot of their recent strength came down to layoffs. Basically, they've been rewarded for acknowledging the new reality that business is slowing and then they're doing something about it. In other words, it's become increasingly clear that business is no longer as strong for these amazing large tech companies. We just haven't known how weak they've gotten because the earnings hadn't come in yet. We finally started figuring it out with Microsoft last night. Now, keep in mind, even though we own Microsoft for the Travel Trust, we did trim our position earlier this month, in part because CEO Satya Nadella made these really grim comments to a CNBC affiliate in India, talking about how the next two years will be challenging for both with his company in the broader industry. Wow, very bad. So what did the results tell us? Well, Microsoft's sales came in a little soft, up 2% year-over-year, thanks to weakness in their personal computing and gaming division, down 19% (laughs) year-over-year. Fortunately, Microsoft's other two divisions, Intelligent Cloud and Productivity and Business Business Processes, both put up decent numbers, growing by 18% and 7% respectively. In some ways, the numbers were better than feared. BTF, as we call it around here, Mr. Softy managed to deliver a modest three cent earnings beat off a 229 basis, with the numbers down 6% year-year, although they would have been up 2% on what we call a constant currency basis. Microsoft achieved that bottom line beat through excellent expense controls. Their adjusted operating expenses actually came in half a billion dollars below plan, which I think is encouraging. The company's Azure cloud computing operation also came in above expectations for the reported quarter. Initially, after investors saw those numbers, Microsoft's stock shot up 4% in after-hours trading. Everyone got real bull up. It went from 242 to the low 250s. Now the stock was still north of 250 when the conference call got rolling. But then it dropped like a rock. <laughs> the moment after management gave us their guidance for the next quarter. Now, I always tell you that you should wait until you've heard the conference call before you make any kind of decision about whether the quarter was good or bad, particularly with Microsoft. Especially true, where they don't give you the formal outlook in the initial earnings release. You only get that guidance on the call from the chief financial officer, the fantastic Amy Hood, right before the Q&A session. And this time, the guidance, well, let's just say it was discouraging. Well, to say the least. Microsoft projecting weaker than expected sales. The midpoint of their forecast implies revenue shrinkage year over year. Shrinkage. This is Microsoft. In particular, because both the personal computing and cloud divisions are projected to be lower than anticipated. Management also had some less than ideal comments about a couple of their key growth products. They told us the growth rate for Office 365 would decline sequentially by one percentage point on a constant currency basis. Not great. As the subscription version of Office had been a good source of growth, a regular, just kind of a newie. Worse, they told us growth would slow for their Azure cloud infrastructure business. While Azure had 38% constant currency revenue growth this past quarter in its totality, that had already fallen to 35% in December, and now we learn on the call only that Microsoft expects it to decelerate by another 4 to 5 percentage points from that level, meaning down to the low 30s. Hey, the analysts were looking for 34. In short, the cloud business was already taking a big hit, and that's likely going to get worse by a substantial margin. Microsoft also has some not-so-hot things to say about their full-year operating margins. They're talking about a 1% point hit. But the revenue forecast for the next quarter was indeed the real bummer here. Now, there were some positive parts, too. I'm not going to ignore them. One of the biggest parts was this buzz about the debut of ChatGPT. That's a new artificial intelligence technology that can take your prompts and return incredible results. If you ask it for a haiku about the Eagles-Niners playoff game this weekend, it'll have a beautiful one in seconds. Uh, if you, and if you slant it for why you like the Eagles, I think it slants it that way. Chat GPT is made by a company called OpenAI, and Microsoft is a major investor in OpenAI. On Monday, they announced a third round of investing in this thing. And then on the last night's call, but Nadella laid out his long-term vision for how he can gradually integrate OpenAI's technology into all of his products. I, mean, I thought it made a really compelling case. A lot of people are very jazzed about this. And while the overall sales growth numbers were ugly, in large part because we're currently dealing with, obviously, a massive PC. Glide. The Dell also did his best to stress that underlying usage trends remain strong for Microsoft. For example, usage intensity of Windows remains up big from before the pandemic. That's pretty amazing. Time spent per PC up nearly 10%. It's not that people have stopped using computers constantly. They just don't need to buy new ones for the moment. This is what we keep get people getting caught up on. Once you have one of these new, fabulous computers, you don't need to get a new, fabulous computer. And they haven't changed so much that you want to say, I'll throw that one away six months later. We also know that gaming has been, struggling. Remember, that's be last night when we talked to Logitech. Xbox's hardware sales were down 13%, with content and services revenue down 12%. But Nadella also noted that Xbox now has 120 million monthly active users for their Game Pass subscription service. potentially the future of the industry. And I've got to tell you, people who own GameStop, remember, this is a better way than the physical way. People keep forgetting that. Only though, Microsoft gave us what is definitely just considered to be a a tepid outlook for some of the most important business lines. And the analysts cut their price targets on mass. And that's why the stock opened down more than 3% this morning. Now, for me, the most encouraging part of this whole saga is that Microsoft managed to bounce off its lows of the day and recover most of the ground that was lost at the opening. It closed just down 1.6%. That ain't bad. It tells me that people are willing to step up and buy the mega cap tech stocks, at least on weakness, even when they report distinctly suboptimal numbers. So what are the key takeaways here? First, as always, I'm begging you to be patient and listen to the conference call before deciding whether to sell, sell, sell. Buy, buy, buy. People got crushed last night. Those who jumped the gun tend to get their heads handed to them, and that's exactly what happened to anyone who bought Microsoft way up into the initial spike after last night's number. They're down more than ten bucks now. Second, this quarter unfortunately reinforced some of our worst fears about tech. It seems everyone from the world's largest companies to the smallest, most speculative al- al- outfits are seeing pretty big deceleration in growth. The problem here is we don't know how bad things can get before they stabilize. And some of these formerly hot areas, like Microsoft's Azure cloud business, have seen a real slowdown over the course of just a few months, and it had been the exciting part of the industry. I know, I sure believed it. Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud. Like I explained the other night, while the near-term future for many, but not all of these tech companies is truly ugly, their long-term prospects haven't particularly changed. And when we start seeing signs that business might turn soon, stocks like this one, in and this one, going to rebound like crazy. And that's why we still own some Microsoft for the Chapel trust, and we're not selling anymore. And, and, and I know, look, I'm not nimble enough to get out and then get back in, as I told subscribers to the investing club. On the other hand, we're not buying anymore either, though the near-term is just too grim. Here's the bottom line. While Microsoft got hit very hard this morning in response to last night's less-than-stellar guidance, at one point dragging the whole NASDAQ down more than 2% and giving the whole market, frankly, a headache. The best thing I can say is that they both managed to rebound from their lows. This was not an encouraging quarter, but Microsoft's totally gotten religion on cost controls, which should help tide them over through what looks like truly a difficult tech downturn. Wow. Hey, you know what? I want to go to Glenn in Illinois, please. Glenn! Jim, good to talk with you. Good to talk Um, to you. You have been, in the past, cautious about the market. Last week, you sounded like you were more enthusiastic about growth stocks. And one in particular from the past that you repeatedly like is Palo Alto Networks. I was curious to know what you're thinking about Palo Alto looking forward I think it's the only one that I stand behind, front and center, in that whole group. They got the full suite. But most importantly, they got Nikesh Arora, truly a visionary when it comes to cybersecurity. What he's done with that company is remarkable. I'd buy Palo Alto right now, right here. I think it's terrific. All right, Microsoft's quarter was not encouraging. Didn't like to see that. But the company's got religion on cost controls, which should help them through what looks like a truly difficult tech downturn. And obviously, they've got a real cool thing when it comes to artificial intelligence. Much more mad money ahead. Ritchie Brothers announced that it amended its merger agreement with IAA, and it had become more shoulder-friendly. So where does the deal stand right now? I'm getting details from the CEO. I think you'll like them. And then, when tech was flying, why were we buying down and out health care for a charitable trust? Were we crazy? I'm offering up a lesson in his on a volatile trading day. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Live- around. So stay with Kramer. Last month we introduced you to a new story, Richie Brothers Auctioneers, RBA. That's a company that operates a marketplace where its customers can buy or sell heavy equipment, trucks, and other large assets. Now, just a few weeks before that interview, the stock had been hit hard after Richard Brothers announced the acquisition of IAA, which runs a marketplace for total damage and low-value vehicles. The market didn't seem to like the deal, but we thought management told a real good story on the show. Now it looks like we're not alone in feeling that way. On Monday, Ritchie Brothers announced a deal with Starboard Value. It's a very smart activist firm we are very familiar with. That's making a $500 million strategic investment in the business, receiving a bunch of preferred shares, also getting a board seat for their CEO Jeff Smith, whose work we're familiar with and we like. Thanks to this capital raise, Ritchie Brothers amended the terms of its IAA acquisition, offering more cash, less stock, which Wall Street wanted to see, along with a nice $1.08 per share special dividend for those who own Ritchie shares. At this point, the stock's only up a few bucks from our last interview, but the underlying story seems to have gotten to me a lot better. So let's take a close look with Anne Fandosi. She's the CEO of Ritchie Brothers Auctioneers to learn more about the deal. Ms. Fandosi, welcome back to the show. Thank
3: you so much, Jim. We're thrilled to be here again.
2: Okay, so Ann, let's go over this. Uh, In the old deal, uh, you gave people a mix of 22% cash and 78% stock. Now it's going to be 29% cash and 71% stock. Why is this good for Richie Brothers, and why is it good for the people on the other side?
3: Yeah, it's a fantastic deal for all the shareholders involved. So uh, as we talked about last time, I have been spending an inordinate amount of time on the road meeting with shareholders. So what we heard from IEA shareholders is they wanted more cash. And what we heard from Richie Brothers shareholders is as they understood the transaction and how very accretive it is for them, they said, hey, can we get a little bit less dilution in the mix? And so we were able to construct a a framework where the IEA shareholders got an extra $2.80 of cash. Again, less stock, as you said, uh, a small reduction in total purchase price an ability then for us to pay out to Ritchie Brothers shareholders a dollar eight per share, which is very meaningful, four quarters of a special dividend, uh, all while driving a higher accretion for Ritchie Brothers shareholders because Starboard, when they enter, though that equity is going to be issued at a premium, uh, $73 per share, a significant premium to where the stock is today. Not only is it a huge vote of confidence for where we're headed, but also much better for Ritchie Brothers shareholders in terms of uh,
2: accretion dilution. Okay. no, we're very, uh, very knowledgeable about the things that Starboard has done and how well they've done in many cases. Uh, Did they just have a long history with you or did it just develop?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a very interesting story. So they were originally investors in par when IAA spun out. And so they know the IAA story well and the potential uh, of that market and how very counter cyclical that business is. Uh, I have personally known Starboard and and Jeff for a very long time. Uh, They have, uh, you know, I've been watching from the sidelines how very well they've done for shareholders and themselves. Uh, The day that we announced the IAA deal, I got a text from Jeff that said, congratulations, we had been looking at IAA. what an incredible outcome for your shareholders. And then, you know, the market reaction was far from that sentiment in the beginning. Again, a lot of confusion about salvage cars, what is it? Uh, and so, but, you know, we kept the dialogue going. Jeff and his team had done an amazing amount of work, not only on IAA, but on the incredible potential of the combination. And they approached us with, hey, we think that, you, you know, we could we could play a role and it could be very beneficial to all of the, the shareholders
2: in the meantime. And we agreed. Now, and I've got to tell you, I've looked into this, too. And I think what's interesting is when a car is totaled, vehicles to- totaled, the insurer's company takes title and they can deliver it who they want to. My understanding is, is that IAA has not done as well, for instance, as Copart with the insurance companies. Perhaps you're, well, I know you've got great relationship with the insurance companies. This could do very, very well and be more creative than people realize.
3: We, we couldn't agree more, Jim. Uh, so yeah, it's an incredible marketplace, the salvage car marketplace. The insurance companies, as you said, make the determination. What they want is performance and then trust in the management team to deliver. Uh, We are confident we can drive both for them. And as you said, uh, you know, the company I ran before, uh, Richie Brothers, was called Abra Auto Body and Collision. Our customers were these same insurance carriers, so they know this is a team that they can trust to deliver.
2: Now, you do get a better feel from some of the shareholders. I know some people just can never win, but from some shareholders who were on the fence that this is a good one?
3: You know, it's actually been an incredible, uh, incredible uh, inbound uh, interest. So, first of all, when we started going on the road, I am happy to report that we've had uh, a significant number. Three major shareholders enter the, the stock uh, since we started telling the story. They, they will be three of the top ten. Very excited about the potential and the, the, this combination will bring. And then since on Monday we revealed for the first time not only the cost synergies, which are meaningful, But the revenue opportunities, the industrial logic, we put numbers on it and they are, you know, as I've said before, eclipsing of the cost synergies. We have spoken to our shareholders and they are so excited about the revenue opportunities. Literally the only question I've been asked for the last two and a half days, how quickly can you bring these to be?
2: Well, I totally believe it. It makes a huge amount of sense. I know when I steal with the Starboard people, they're very excited about it, too. I want to thank Ann Fandosi. She's the CEO of Ritchie Brothers. It's a very exciting transaction. I'm so glad you came back on the show. Good to see you.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Man, money's back here for the break.
5: Coming up, Kramer takes her calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round. Next...
2: And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Come the lightning round, is over with Perry in California. Perry. Hey Jim, it's Perry. How are you? I am good. How are you, Per? Doing good. Long time, first time, and in an investment club member. Yes. Kudos. <laughs> Kudos.
1: I've learned an awful lot from guys. Oh, thank you. I'd like your opinion on Organon, symbol OGM. Thank
2: you. Okay, look, I remember when Shearing Plow bought Organon, then I remember when Merck bought Shearing Plow, then I remember when Merck spun off Organon, and I do not understand why this stock sells at five times earnings. What I'm going to do is, is go to uh, Ben Stoto and he and I are going to review this to figure out why something this good sells at that low a price. I can't otherwise hazard a guess. Let's go to David in Virginia. David! Booyah, Jim. David, we're in South Carolina, Virginia. How's, what's your thoughts on Alibaba? It was the only, it's the only China stock I'd buy, but i got to tell you, I am so sick of stocks that I think are manipulated up or down by the People's Republic of China that I no longer want to get people involved. It's not like tobacco, which I will not recommend, but I've got to tell you, I've had it with the PRC. Let's go to Jacob in North Carolina. Jacob! Booyah, Jim. Thanks for having me on your show again thrilled to have you. Oh, good to have you back, Jacob!
1: (laughs) Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I just had a question. I think this stock had a big run, but I think if you hold it longer, you're going to devastate your capital. What do do you think about Cleveland Cliff?
2: Why be in Cleveland Cliff? You can be in Nucor, which is one of the greatest manufacturers on Earth. I like N-U-E! Now we're going to go to Matthew in Washington. Matthew! Mr. Kramer, hello from the Pacific Northwest. No, I loved it when my door lived in Oregon. I miss it. What's up? Uh, After becoming a member of the investment club, my money goes into stocks that do things and make money. I've seen this company a couple of times on Mad Money. This precious metal is up substantially in the last couple of months. Should I take some off the table or hold Barrick Gold? No, no. I mean, oh, you, you know, we had that in the bullpen. I think the stock is breaking out here. Three percent yield. Got uh, Mark Bristow. I mean, I gotta tell you, what the heck is that stock still doing under twenty? I gotta, can't, I can't make heads or tails of it. Let's go to John in New York. John.
1: Hey Jim, my stock is bowl. It's a
2: company that operates traditional bowling centers. Bolero, more- my friend, Bolero. And it's one of my absolute favorites. It's one of the only one of those SPACs that I will even think about touching. And now we're going to Steve in Pennsylvania. Steve. Yo, Tim, uh, booyah. I'm a proud member of the club. Thanks for all your hard work. A lot of club members tonight. Fantastic. (laughs) My question is about the JCI, Johnson Controls. I know you're not a fan of Honeywell. I heard some of that. But, uh, Johnson Controls Johnson is actually making a very big comeback. JCI is doing very well. I like the stock. I do like Honeywell even more, though, because I own it for that travel trust. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up... Tech is bouncing from its recent Silicon Valley. So why is Kramer eyeing health care? Find out next.
2: I mean, why are we buying down and out healthcare stocks for the Chapel Trust instead of the tech stocks that have been flying since the beginning of the year? I always give them the same answer because I want to stay in the game. I don't want to be blown out when the Tech Grim Reaper strikes. Today, the Tech Grim Reaper struck with a vengeance, rarely seen on Wall Street, because every aspect of it took a hit, the worst being the fabled enterprise software segment. By the way, this is why we don't take investment advice from Blue Oyster Coal either, because you should absolutely the Reaper. I've been adamant for months now that the weakest, most bloated segment of the entire U.S. economy is the enterprise software industry. Sure enough, we just found out that's one of the weaker parts of Microsoft. There are way too many venture capital-funded startups who created applications for seeing data, storing data, analyzing data, and cross-pollinating data, particularly on the web. Suddenly the industry is full of ruinous competition, and there's not enough demand to go around. We're seeing the reverberations everywhere. Aerospace companies can finally hire the people it needs because so many engineers have been laid off by enterprise software firms. And most important, while the layoffs are just beginning, these companies don't even know how to do it right. They are supposed to follow Sheryl Crow's dictum. The first cut is supposed to be the deepest! Instead, most of these tech outfits are salami-cutting because they don't know better. Now, initially, when investors saw these layoffs, they cheered and bought the stocks. But Jeff Parkson the employee manager by Chapel Trust, and I had a different idea. We used the moment to buy the drug stocks that were being left by the wayside. Stocks like Eli Lilly, which is expanded furiously. $450 million commitment just announced to meet demand for a diabetes drug that should be approved soon for weight loss. Even though the stock's been a horse since we started recommending, I think it's still got legs. We were able to buy some Lily cheaply for the Chapel Trust because it was being overlooked as so many people want to throw their money at tech every time it shows the slightest sign of life. Frankly, if you have too much tech exposure, like when you get a day like today, you might just say, that's it, I've had enough, I'm getting out of this racket. Well, that's why we got to stay diversified. The allure of tech is so enticing that once again, we saw people buy Microsoft up more than 6% in the aftermarket last night, even as I've told you endlessly not to buy anything until you hear the conference call. With Microsoft, you can't touch it until you listen to what Amy Hood, the CFO, has to say, as I mentioned earlier in the show, because she's the one who gives you the outlook and it trades on the outlook. And the outlook was not good good this time because of the Azure cloud business. I can't say a diversified portfolio is bulletproof. But I can say that it makes it easier to stay in the game when one particularly popular group gets put through the meat grinder. It prevents you from taking your chips and couching out. And yes, I'm using a gambling analogy because that's exactly what you're doing when you buy a stock after the earnings release, but before the conference call. I like to say there's always a the market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Craver, and I'll see you tomorrow.